and welcome to Suede. My name is Sarah Osteen, and this afternoon I am speaking with someone that I've actually never met. Hopefully we get the chance to meet in person at some point here, but um, who was introduced to me through a mutual friend, uh, Cindy Hales, who is the head instructor at Gracie Baja in Kirkland um, at a jiu-jitsu studio, and she's definite badass, is one of the, the dirty dozen, and we'll learn more about her role. But welcome, Cindy. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have this conversation. So, um, one of my big questions is, how did you, I know you have this name, The Sleeper, and I have not, this has not been explained to me, but it's also on your email. So where did The Sleeper come from? So the nickname came from, I lived in Tacoma and I, I was taking care of this old guy um, who was sick. It was like my job. And mm-hmm. he was like a car dude, you know, like old school car dude. Mm-hmm. And he he would call me the sleeper, like it's like a car that like looks crappy, but like <laughs> goes because he was just like would kind of make fun of me, him and his friends, like you don't look very tough, but you're supposed to be tough, you know. So it's like, oh, you're like the the sleeper car, the crappy car that goes. So that was like kind of where it came from, and then like sleeper hold is like the the double entendre or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was mainly from a car culture dude. Oh, okay. Do you actually make people pass out? <laughs> I, I have, but you you should tap first. But right. um, people have made me pass out, and I have also made other people pass out. So is that is that considered like an error on the person on the part of the person who's in the hold if they don't tap out first? Well, like sometimes you just don't even realize it's going to happen so fast. That could just happen, but but most of the time you would think like, no, you'll have time, you tap out. So yeah, usually it is a human error, I guess is a good way to say it. <laughs> and then what happens after you just come to or what Yeah, so when that happens, the person, it's like they'll, they'll sometimes like go into little convulsions and you need to just like make sure they're like staying down. You stop the hold and then kind of hold them down, hold their feet up, maybe get some blood back to their head and wait for them to come to. Uh, when I started in jujitsu, people would act like, well, I always heard this thing like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you hear about getting knocked out's a big deal, but this isn't a big deal. I kind of beg to differ because I think it's probably a big deal. I try not right. to let that happen. Right. It's maybe like like a concussion, like once or twice is, is okay, but you don't want it to do it all the time. No. Right. Oh, fascinating and scary. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're you know really here to talk about your this experience you've had with jujitsu for how, how many years have you been practicing? I started in two thousand one, so okay. seventeen years, I guess. Wow, amazing! Yeah, um, longer than so- I've really done anything else. Yeah, I mean, longer than any relationship I've had. And exactly. <laughs> or like any other schooling. Like, it's right. Me. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's crazy. So, so how has your perspective on jujitsu changed from, uh, you know, 17 years ago till now? Well, it's changed in a lot of ways. I think, like, when I first started jujitsu, I really didn't have any idea what it was other than I saw it on the UFC. My friend had showed it to me. And then I found a school. I just happened on a school and I started and, you know, so I just started as a casual person wanting to go see this stuff where you learn to choke people out. And I got hooked really quickly and I was training pretty much every day. And then I started kind of like fancying myself, I guess, a a jujitsu person. I wasn't really like, oh, I want to be a martial artist. That wasn't really, 
I just saw this thing. I think my perspective shifted. I actually had a job and I wasn't real happy there. And I quit my job and just decided like, I'm going to go be the best jujitsu person I can be, which I wasn't sure what that meant, but that's what I decided to do. And I just started training all the time. I tried to compete, just wanted to really like learn how to do this thing that seemed really unattainable to me. And I just didn't understand it. And so kind of had that progression of just being like an athlete, which I really didn't, I don't even really consider myself an athlete now, but I kind of was like an athlete and competing a lot. And then I started teaching. And then I think I've really like been in that mode of like, what does it mean to be a good teacher? And how do I be a good teacher? And how do I be a good coach and build, build a team? And so that has really, aside from just learning the technique of jujitsu, has kind of like really captured. I mean, that's a pretty serious evolution from just being curious to thinking about it from a, a teaching perspective. Yeah. It, it's much more than, than what I initially walked in to do. I can yeah. definitely say that. And you had like a traditional corporate job. Yeah, I was like a customer service manager for a call center and mm -hmm. was just not, you know, not really happy. But I thought like, oh, I need to get this job. And I was doing good, had a job. I just didn't like the job. Honestly, I kind of freaked out. I had gotten married and was like, I need to be an adult. And I didn't know what that meant. So it meant in my mind, go get a job. Yeah. And then I imagined like, what if I have this, what if I'm answering angry calls about coffee um, and, and managing spreadsheets about handle times for the rest of my life. And then I was just like, no, I'm going to go learn how to choke people out because that seems like exciting. And that's what I did. So it was like, I just kind of knew I needed to, to do something else. Yeah. Is there a part of your personality? Like where, where do you think that comes from the curiosity to choke people out? I mean, I, I can understand like, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to get in better shape, but like that feels more unique. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, you know, I wasn't into fighting at all. Mm -hmm. I was like this punk rock feminist kid. Okay. And then I saw MMA and I just was like, I don't like that. I fundamentally don't like that. But there was this thing about jujitsu that was just like, it just seemed like, why is this underdog winning? And I think that's really what like brought me to it is like the guy who wasn't supposed to win in these matchups was winning. And I wanted to be, I was like, I'm an underdog. And I want to win things. And yeah. that looks like the way to do it. And it just like, I can't even say exactly. I'm also like a little bit obsessive about things, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. You know, as a kid, I played racquetball. I would just like, we moved a lot. So my mom was like, oh, well, there's this place next to our house. that's a racquetball court. And I would just stand in there and hit the racquetball for like eight hours a day by myself. And then I became like a super racquetball player. And then I just kind of applied that to everything. I just always done that. So like, you know, I looked at your questions. I'm like, why is that about me? And it's something I think about, like, why am I this way? It just, I've always been that way. Well, it makes a ton of sense actually, because it means you have like, very high levels of focus. And so whatever you kind of delve into, you're going to be all in. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've seen pictures of you. Um, so just from a physical perspective, it, I, I'm getting sense you're small, right? Yeah, I'm about between 125, 130, 35 pounds, 5'6", not so, intimidating. So, <laughs> I mean, is that from a jujitsu perspective, like, are there different classes or what does that mean for you? Uh, well, from a competition perspective, competitive jujitsu, you'll have weight classes and belt ranks. So like skill level and weight. Mm -hmm. 
then guys and girls are usually separated out. As the sport grew, you know, they were able to separate out guys and girls. I've been where I've competed against guys. A lot of times, like early days, there weren't as many weight classes available for girls because there weren't as many girls. So they would need to put all the girls into two classes, big or small. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but the basis of the sport is divided out on weight classes. And then they'll have what's called absolute division, which is the first, mm-hmm. you know, the division of who's the best. Okay. So you actually will, uh, is it called fighting? Yeah. Or for, you, for MMA, it would be called fighting. If you're a like semantics person in like matches for like jujitsu, fighters okay. don't like it to call fighting if you're not punching them or whatever. No, I, I want to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> so matches, you might actually be matched up against somebody who's significantly larger than you. Yeah. And I think for me, where really like the bulk of your time in jujitsu isn't spent competing, it's spent training, like in the gym. Mm-hmm. And mostly in the gym, you're like going up against all kinds of people, you know? Mm. So it's like, that's a, an interesting aspect. Like, oh, there's these weight classes, but generally in the gym, especially like for me running a gym, um, I think there is a, a little bit of an expectation. You want to see if your instructor knows what they're doing. So there's, you need to go beat up all the guys that come in, which is a strange, right, right. strange feeling, especially as I get older. Like, wow, that's a lot. Um, (laughs) so, so, you know, there's that to contend with. Um, I, I try and structure my gym away from that in a lot of ways, just because it's like, it's not survivable for me. Mm -hmm. It sounds almost like it's, it's a little bit different than boxing or, you know, sports like where the weight class or wrestling, where the weight class makes such a difference. Oh, there yeah. is something about skill that like you can still be matched up against somebody who's significantly larger with you or even like a, a dude and and have a pretty good match. Yeah, I, I think like, you know, if you take a girl or smaller, weaker person and put them up against someone who has no jujitsu and they have a lot of technique, there's some chance. But when you start looking at like, oh, everyone in this room has technique then size is huge. That's mm, what I'm like. Okay. I argue with a lot of people about it because they're like, oh, well, size doesn't matter in jujitsu. And it's like, well, yeah, it does matter. It really does, yeah. It does matter, you know? And it's like, well, that's usually big people saying that too. I'm like, well, try being little. Because sometimes <laughs> even when you win, is it truly a win? You know, you didn't tap me out, but like I went home and like felt like I was dying. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's like, I have a lot of like thoughts about that. Just like, how do you, how does someone like me long-term survive in the rooms of jiu-jitsu. I mean, it just seems natural. I Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, I, it's interesting on all sports that kind of like, it, you know, weight or like size is a factor and how, how that really factors in and drives people like, what do you eat? How do you perform yeah. within this? Get right. bigger, get smaller. So, yeah. 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 Funny. So, you are part of this elite group called the Dirty Dozen. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So what the Dirty Dozen is, is it initially they had like a a men's Dirty Dozen, which was the first 12 non-Brazilian black belts. So for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, there's people in Brazil, but once like it started to spread outside of Brazil to the world, they had this list of like the old school guys. Uh, I guess about six years ago, maybe they made a list for the girls. They were trying to track down who were the first 12 non-Brazilian black belts in the world. Hmm. And I got a call from someone or an email like, can you just tell me when you got your belt and, you know, your credentials? And we're doing this project, trying to figure this out. So I gave it to them and was like, I won't make it. I'll never make that list. That's crazy. And it was never even in my mind. Um, but then they called me back and they're like, you made it on the list. 
So that's really, to me, that's like the best accolades I could, I could hope for in this one way in jujitsu is like, cause I think the times in jujitsu have changed. The sport has mainstreamed quite a bit and the approach I think is, is changing quite a bit. So being in that room back 17 years ago was, was a little different experience to me, it's like, oh, this is the real meaningful award. Plus, yeah. they can't take it away from you. That's why I'm like, <laughs> you know, I joke with my friends like, well, by the next year, there's another world champion if you don't like win it again. But this one is like, no, you were one of the first 12. Yeah. That, so that's all. It's just like the first 12 black belts. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and have you met the other ones? Most of them. I've competed against a few of them and then just met them or just know them just from from around you know, from, from, from the interwebs. Yeah. It's an elite group. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about this, like you went from having a very steady job to really becoming essentially a a professional athlete in a lot of ways, but there's in, in a sport where there's not a lot of stability and I'm imagining like financial stability. And so what, what really motivated you to take that risk? Well, kind of goes back to the first question of like, well, it was like definitely not a smart choice in like, you know, the typical sense. Like, I, you know, and I'm like, God, yeah, I can see why people were like, Cindy, what are you doing? But it was just like, no, I need to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to f- figure it out. I almost just couldn't not do it. I just thought about my life. Like, what if I'm still sitting in this room looking at these spreadsheets or whatever? Yeah. I can't do it. So I just, just kind of decided this is what I'm going to do. And I just took like labor ready manpower type jobs. I just made it work and it was really hard. Like I look back and I think I like tell the story sometimes to people and it's like, oh yeah, and it all worked out. But it's, there was all that time in the middle where I was trying to work it out that it was definitely uh, a lot of unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> even now I think, God, did I mess up? Think about if you had that job still, what what you would have and like, a lot of these hardships that you've gone through and like the instability of, oh, I don't have any rent. Oh, I don't have a car. And I, I don't think that people see that. I used to, when I would sell, try and sell memberships at one of my, the gym I used to own that didn't, was not successful. And here's probably why. Um, one reason I would be like, well, I just love the suffering, the struggle. And I would like, and people just looked at me like I was a crazy person. So I was like, I need to refine my, my sales pitch a little. <laughs> but for me, it's like, I think that's really, you know, it's like, it taught me a lot about myself. Like, what could I go through? And it's like, I don't think I could get those lessons from sitting in a job where I got a really nice paycheck. Yeah. You know? And you said something about taking like labor related jobs. So did you do that to make money on the side? Yeah. You know, for a while I was like teaching classes and I would, well, for a while I worked at like a distribution center, putting labels on a packages in the middle of the night so that I could train during the day. And it was like, it's a great job. It's a job, but it was definitely not the job that I had had. Um, But it was just like, this trade-off is going to be worth it to me on some level. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't any money in jujitsu. I was just teaching initially, like today there's like girls in the UFC. There's some money to be made. I would argue there's not as much money as a lot of people think for like the broad scope. Then there was really no allure of even like, I didn't think I would win a lot of money or anything. Um. I just wasn't motiv- I wasn't motivated by money. So it was like, I'm rethinking that now. Like, I'm like, oh, you better motivate by something other than like experience and memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think 
there's a, a medium to it, you know, a, a middle place. Right. But I, I get the impression that there was no, in some ways there was no option for you. Like once you got a taste of this, if yeah. you were going to be all in. Yeah, that was exactly what happened. And then I, I tried to segue a little bit into just like, where can I make money, you know, and long-term would be like teaching. And that's how I, you know, initially just got into teaching the kids because no one wanted to teach kids. And I was like, I can teach kids because they're not huge and they're not going to crush me. <laughs> so I just started really doing that and loved it. And I had worked with kids in other capacities in college. I worked with like at-risk youth and I had done that kind of stuff in high school, even as a volunteer. So mm. it was just, I'm definitely from the social services bent. I really want to like help people. I want to help myself. And so I just tried to look at it like, oh, there are opportunities if you look and see where they're at. It makes yeah a ton of sense. Why don't people like teaching kids? Well, I think back then it was just a bunch of 20-year-old dudes that wanted to be tough guys. And, you yeah. know, it's not tough to teach five-year-olds. So it was just... It was different than a lot of martial arts where they had, you know, I think like some Taekwondo or something. They're like, oh, the money is with the kids. It was just more of a, a little bit of a renegade sport where it was like, no, it was about 20-year-old guys fighting. Uh, and do you still get the opportunity to work with at-risk kids? or I have done some projects throughout or like little programs. I worked for a while as part of the Seattle public school system. I did an after-school program in Rainier Beach for, we called it a wrestling program. I, I learned wrestling and taught them wrestling because they didn't want jujitsu. Mm. Um, and we had like 40 kids at the time. It was a free, they would do count, like uh, after school snacks and homework help. And then mm. we would lay out mats and I did that. I've worked with Treehouse some uh, doing stuff. I've worked with a group called uh, Youth Eastside Services to give like opportunities for kids who can't afford it, at-risk mm. kids in the to to teach them and now I'm like I have kind of a project that I'm trying to help with in in Nicaragua that I I try and help a school down there because I just vacationed there made friends with the schools so trying to do some stuff to help them they're going through some political situations in Nicaragua so just trying to make sure they can keep their school running I just I just like to do that I'm like man I do jiu-jitsu I want to help people do jiu-jitsu and so I'm just involved in those kinds of things it seems like you're heavily involved in the social services or that's sort of got to be a part of your practice. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I feel like the biggest impact I can have really is as a teacher, just a person in the sport, I try and give back to it and support it. And it gave a lot to me. So that's mm -hmm. really just like what I try and do. Is there a meditative component to it? I mean, it's like it's sort of the way you're describing it sounds like there is this psychological benefit to it. And maybe I'm making a leap here, but. No, I believe there is. For me, they're definitely like, I'm in my head a lot. So like when I can go and just train and like, just like all my energy focuses into training, it's not always fun. You know, it's that like kind of grind of training. It's just like, I'm just going to do it. I really enjoy kind of that space. Now I'm getting to the point where I can't train the way I want to in jujitsu because my, my injuries I've taken up bicycling and to me it's the same same thing it's just like riding a bike for a long ways and just pedaling and no you're just going to keep pedaling and you're going to get through it. I'm like that. I for a while one year I like obsessively weed eated my property. I would weed eat for like 8 hours a day and it's just like <laughs> super soothing and people would be like you're insane. It's like no, I just like to be doing things with my body 
And so I'm just kind of wired that way. Well, it's interesting you brought up the physical component of it and your your injuries, which which feels like this influence on you and uh, as part as part of the sport that's sort of unavoidable, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but it it feels like your connection to it or the way you interact with jujitsu has to change over time as you evolve, like as your body evolves. Is that fair or do people still practice for up into their 60s and 70s? And It's crazy because I don't even feel like I'm like looking out into the landscape, like where are the role models? And it's like most of the people as they're older, it's like they may still kind of be training. They're not training at the same level and the injuries that exist underneath oh, I show up at the gym every day, but I have like this litany of injuries I'm holding back. And I see that with a lot of my peers, like the movie, The Wrestler. Mm. Like you're like, oh my God, I don't want to be that person. I need to reinvent myself. Because I started jujitsu even late. I was 26. So I wasn't like really young for being a professional athlete. I, I already in my mind had known like, this isn't sustainable, turn to teaching. And then even in my mind, I want it to still be there. So I'll take fights occasionally. I took a MMA fight two years ago that was like, age is real, time is real, but I just like, let me try again. Let me see. Um, Now I'm trying to, you know, it's like a compulsion for that. And like, no, I need to redirect that into new things. Otherwise I think it's like the person who doesn't grow old gracefully. Mm. Yeah. That's hard (laughs) though. I mean, you have dedicated yourself to something. It's very trying. You know, I've been reading a lot of books about it. Uh, examples in other aspects you have to reinvent yourself reinventing myself now is like I want to own my own school I want to work on these things that I can use my jujitsu but they're not going to be as tasking on my body so I'm really kind of trying to figure it out and then also like oh is there some other manifestation that's going to happen in my life where it's like I can keep jujitsu in it but but what's next you know yeah how it how can you continue to work around it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is kind of cool though, because moves you can adapt. Like my whole game has adapted based on injuries. And I have all these moves that people are like, that's not really a move. And it's like, well, it's my move. And I, you can, it's a move if you only have one leg. You can right. only use one of your legs. I like that about it. It's like, man, if you're clever enough, you can, you can compensate and adapt. And I think that's a lesson to take, you know, in life. Yeah. You're not going to be marked down or whatever for doing it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, before we started today, we, we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, our, our mutual friend, because there just weren't that many women practicing at your studio. I was like, who's the other lady? (laughs) It's like, well, that was you. (laughs) So I I was sort of thinking about that and I'm wondering, you know, if you had any mentors or role models, or if there is any people that influenced you, I get the impression that you're, you're very, self-motivated and there's like an intrinsic motivation, but did, did you have any role models along the way recognizing there weren't really even that many women when you first started? Well, my biggest role model that I would say like impact my life. And it's like the obvious is like my parents been thinking, cause a lot of times I'm like, God, they were like kind of hard on me. Mm. But in a lot of ways, when I think about it, what I think that they did 100% right is they just always let me do what I wanted to do. Basically, like they let me be who I wanted to be. And I don't see that a lot. And so I think that was like this thing that it was like, they gave me this space and freedom to be like, well, you're kind of a weird kid, but we're going to just let you be a weird kid. Right. And we're going to allow that. And, you know, I had, I had things I needed to do, but like within that framework, I was allowed to 
do all these other things. And then beyond that, some of my friends have these like, oh, I had this old master that taught me these things. And it's like, I don't really look at mentors that way. When I think back in my life, it's usually like just people I notice, like I'll notice people out in the world. Oh my gosh, that person seems really special in what they're doing. And then I become fascinated with people and I'll go find them, meet them and talk to them about it. And like, what are you doing? Show me. And it's not even like if they're doing jujitsu, it's just like things. I just like gravitate towards people. I'll just like find out kind of like, oh, I want to be more like that person. I see how they're interacting with the world. And then I want to go learn what they do or like learn something about them and then like try and apply that to my life. Mm -hmm. So I think because I've been really obsessed with this idea of mentors right now in my life, who are my mentors? So I've just been going back and doing podcasts with people like, man, I noticed you for like the last 10 years just doing things that really impressed me. Talk to me about it. And that's where I garnered all this like power, I think, is just seeing people like even if I wasn't closely interacting with them, I would just see them existing and it would fuel me. Yeah. So you kind of sought them out versus somebody coming to you and saying, you know, I want to mentor you. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I've just been really fortunate to be around really cool people all my life too. Like in college, I was, I, I was in Olympia, Washington, and there was like tons of girls doing really rad things in bands and like, no, we can do all these things. That was like this role model of just like, well, they were just all my friends doing cool things and they've all gone on to do the cool things. And I wasn't very arty or musical or any of those things, but I just knew that, oh, these regular people could do like really amazing things. And then when I got into jiu-jitsu, I think my biggest inspiration in jiu-jitsu isn't really anyone who's coached me. It's really like seeing students or just people who happen in the room. And I just like notice like what they, they do something special. There's something special about them. And then I'm like, what is that fucking special thing? And just meeting them and talking to them. And maybe it takes like, some people are in my room for like three years before I even kind of am like, make a connection with them. And then I'm like, oh man, you got to help me. But I met like uh, another guy who was uh, from like the Soviet era. Uh, They used to have like special schools for athletes. Mm -hmm. And he showed up and it's just like this old dude doing some jiu-jitsu. He's like a blue belt or something, like not a high level guy. But then I started being like, no, I can tell something about how that guy moves and just carries himself. I need to talk to him, figure out what the fuck's up with this guy. (laughs) And he ended up being like this really high level judo guy from – he was called like what's a master of sport was a credential they would give in, in Soviet era Russia or the USSR. And he also knew all this like boxing and Sambo. I was trying to rehab my shoulder and I met this guy who knew this boxing and this judo. And I basically just like made him teach me all this boxing for like six months. And then I took an MMA fight to see if I knew if it worked. <laughs> it was like, I don't even care if I win the fight. I just want to try out this boxing. Yeah, I just like try and... Like, man, there's so many interesting people in the world. Just need to go talk to them all and learn so many things. Yeah, it's amazing. You come across as being very comfortable with yourself, though. It's like you're not necessarily looking for validation from anybody else, but there are times you want to reach out and gain more knowledge. Is that fair or... Well, yes and no, because I would, you know, I'm trying to be more comfortable with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm definitely not like, I think, and I talk to people like it's, I have another guy who I consider a mentor and we were talking about the other day and it's like, dude, I'm afraid of everything. Like I'm literally like, 
sometimes I'm like, I think I'm going to be an agoraphobic or something. Like I'm like <laughs> very high anxiety. You know, I have like bipolar, like I very manic, mm-hmm. very depressed. I'm very introspective of like, I think I'm good too, because I like, you know, I just basically see everything that goes wrong as my own fault. <laughs> and then I just need to go fix it yeah. versus like, applying it to things in the outside world. It's like, well, no, you just got to go fix yourself and make yourself better. And it's, it's a little depressing. It's really driven me to take on challenges. And so it's like, I I think like sometimes people are like, oh, you're like lucky or you're like got really good self-esteem. And it's like, oh no, I'm completely terrified. I was talking to someone this morning and I've been, I just started trying to do some podcasts and I've been listening to him and maybe you have this experience as a podcaster, dude, it's hard to like, listen to yourself. And then like, I critique like everything I say, like I could have said this better. Why was I like, what was I even talking about? Am I going to say something crazy? You know? And it's like, I don't, it's, it's a lot to like, really like look at yourself and say like, was that the best way to drive a conversation? Could there have been better questions? Could there, you know, do you really feel that way? And I really want to see like what I am about. Uh, I feel like I, I read this business book and it talks about like, okay, you need your guiding principles and then work back from there. And it's like, okay, what are those? And I'm just really trying to like do that for myself um, a lot. And um, I've never really been focused in that. I've usually always approached things very chaotically where I'm like, I just want to do this, but it's just like, like out of sheer chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm trying to be a little more systematic with things and like really understanding those those dynamics like within myself and within the outside world and like, Oh, is, is that someone just pushing something on me or is that how I feel? And yeah, it's, it's hard. And I think jujitsu, I like it. Cause it's like, man, it's honest feedback. If you do something crappy, you know, you just get squished. So I'm trying <laughs> to like understand like, okay, the world is a little more like nuanced and jujitsu is nuanced. There's moments where it's like, well, the best moves happen right before you're squished and then you use the movement to get out. Mm-hmm. So I have all these theories about like my application of like life strategy through jujitsu. That's what I'm obsessed about, I guess. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it sounds like either consciously or unconsciously, you have a pretty powerful way of influencing your depression, which is this sport. And you can keep returning to it day after day after day and improving yourself around it and being creative around it. And you know, that can only be beneficial when dealing with depression or any other kind of, you know, mental health issue for everybody, I think. But it it, it sounds like you have created a life for yourself that allows you to to better yourself or to make yourself, to enable yourself to feel better. I think it's both intentional and unintentional. I think I almost can't help but do it because I'm like, I can feel like bad things will happen if I stay in this holding pattern for too long. I need to, you know, I just like listen to myself like, oh, you can feel, I can feel like anxiety and those things coming up. And it's like, you have to, to change this for yourself. I, I, you know, I've been on like medications before and all Mm -hmm. of that. And it was like, I didn't feel that that was like the appropriate path for me. I think I really can just influence my environment and how I interact with it. I'm really lucky too, in a lot of ways. I like, well, lucky. And I made the luck of like, I found the thing that could help me. I I actually, for a long time, went away from sport. I like was a good racquetball player. It was a little too much. It was like, uh, I'm being pressured. I don't really like that. I wanted to go and just find myself in punk rock. And then it's like, but I wasn't a good 
musician or any of these things that were valued in punk rock. And I just liked the culture of it. Um, and so now it's like going back to sport. It's like, you know, I'm like a very physical person. That's the thing that it's like, no, I can't deny this for like, I don't want to be a jock, but it's like, but sports can save you. You know, I believe that. Oh, um, totally. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah. And it sounds like you like kind of like high energy, edgy things. <laughs> they, those things yeah. make you feel good, which is cool. Do you find that you practice differently if you are depressed versus when you're feeling kind of higher? Yeah, I think, well, I can see like, I try to be very mindful of it because I can tell it with myself and I feel like I can feel it in other people. Like jujitsu is really close contact and you can almost feel anxiety in people. You can feel a switch when it's like, oh, they're okay. And then something happens and they, the feeling in their body switches, you know, and I can feel like if I'm having a bad day or, uh, you know, things are not going like in my mind, like very well, I have to be like, okay, you've got to control these things. Jujitsu kind of teaches you this lesson of like freaking out when someone's like, crushing you is like actually the worst thing to do. The best thing to do is calm down, regroup, weigh your options. You know, your first number one thing is like, just be safe, be safe in like the chaos. And then you, you incrementally try and work your way out of it. I think a lot of people are like, I need to do these giant moves and I'm going to explode out. And it's like, I never find for me that that's the way it's like, no, no, no. you calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Find a space where you're like, okay, and then you work from that space. And and that lesson just in jiu-jitsu, that's like, you can learn it hard ways or easy ways, but it's, you know, that lesson like applies to life, you know, and I'm a, I'm a work harder person, do more. And it's like, no, do smarter things. <laughs> that's the lesson, you know? Yeah. Calm down, relax and, and weigh your options and have a, a formulated strategy and technique and all these other things behind that plan. Don't just freak the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome metaphor for life, right? I mean, yeah. Kind of approaching with strategy and in a space of calm. I mean, I would imagine there are moments where a big move is worth it, but it's got to be calculated. Exactly. Like, yeah, there's sometimes that's like what you need to do, but you can't do it all the time. You can't have, right. you know, some people come in like full nuclear blast, like going as hard as possible. And it's like, wow, dude, we're just getting the grips. And those people are tired after like two minutes. You know, we do these things where it's like one day a week, we do like 10 minute rounds. And it's like, okay, your goal is not to win the first round. It's to be like still going at round 10 yeah. <laughs> or, you know, round five of 50 minutes of straight sparring. If you don't have good technique and the ability to slow down, you won't make it. You might win the first minute, but you're not going to win the the end of the hour. Yeah. You're coming out way too strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. And so it is sort of like a marathon in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of last thought here, are there power dynamics at play in this sport, whether or not they're obvious or subtle? Like what would you, when you think about some of the, the, the concepts of power as it relates to jujitsu, what does that mean to you? Well, I think there's, lots of different power dynamics that you could talk about within jujitsu. I think on a, a personal level, I think there's like power dynamic of understanding your own power. You know, like I think a lot of people come into jujitsu feeling like they don't have a lot of power. Right. And then through learning jujitsu, they 
gain this physical power. They gain this like internal power of like, oh, I can survive this. I'm not going to actually die. I can do a fucking push up or so, you know, which is like a lot of people are starting from like a place of like nothing. And they, they like get the, the little bits of power. And I think that even if you're not even good at jujitsu, that can be a change. I think there's like the, the, the power dynamic between yourself and the, the other person. There's that kind of natural intrinsic power of like, you know, they call it the gentle art, but like, well, you're trying to like beat another person, mm-hmm. uh, maybe gently, but it's still like, uh, I think there's a lot of mixed messages of like, oh, it's th- this way. And it's like, well, it's, it's the thing that like, you know, the cops use to like wrestle you down. It's not that gentle. Right. Um, you know, uh, so there's, well, the goal is to beat someone. And how do you do that? I think you can do that in a humane way. You can do that. And I think that's what they mean by the gentle art, or you can do it in this very rough way. I think the best jujitsu for me isn't the most powerful jujitsu. It's like the most slick jujitsu, you know, because you can get beat by someone just like squishing you, or you can get beat by someone who like totally just like plays with you (laughs) and then beats you. To me, that's superior. I think within jujitsu, you also have these power dynamics kind of like, uh, you have these hierarchical belt rankings, and I think there's like power in that for people to see their 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 growth. But I also always kind of question these like hierarchical structures of power. Mm-hmm. You know, you see people like I'm a black belt and I make the rules, and you're gonna call me professor everywhere and do all these things for me, and it's like I don't subscribe to that. I'm good at this one thing. I can show people that, but I don't always like the the belt structure. I think it's good for like a signaling for people who need that. Like, oh, you did a good job. Here's a star. But I think it doesn't always represent what I think a lot of people want it to represent in like this martial arts. Like, oh, you're this like special person. I just don't really believe that. You know, it's um, I think most people who want to make you think they're special because they have a black belt or something like that are probably not very special (laughs) because they are falling back on that. I think the power that I'm most interested in in jujitsu right now for myself is really like the power of spreading technical aspects of jujitsu and like the the like things, the lessons I've gained in jujitsu to people as an instructor. Like I want to be a mentor to people and I want to like mentor them and like not, oh, do it this way. I want to mentor them and like, man, go find your way to do it because jujitsu has a way for you. It has a way for me. Yeah. And that's how I approach teaching. And I feel like, you know, out of all of this, like, where am I going to have the most power in jujitsu as like this girl is like through my students and like the lessons I teach my students, the way that I structure my, my classes, the way I structure things in the school, a lot of it's coming from like, oh, I was never the toughest person in the room. And I don't believe that like power in the room should come from, you know, the, the most aggressive or most domineering person. It should become from like the person with the best plan and the best motivation for people. How do you make people in a room follow that lead? And that's like the thing I'm most, that's where I can see like power in jujitsu right now. It's so hard though. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I totally agree. It'd be so nice to take this arbitrary ranking out of it and just have people want to be like Cindy or, you know what I mean? Sort of yeah. do the sport for the love of it. Do the sport for love of it. I just, I don't know. I wonder if not everybody is motivated the same way as you. 
they are not. Yeah. They are not. Yeah. Um, that's where it's it's hard, especially I see it with kids. Kids really need like visual cues right. of I'm making progress. And maybe adults do, you know, some some adults do, many adults probably, you know, and that's a good thing. But what I don't like is when when people get this this ranking and then it's like, yeah, but did you really give to jujitsu? <laughs> you know, but to me, it's just different. It's, it's, it's like, well, did you show up or did you really give to the sport? And it's like, no belt is going to show that. I know I have part of my podcast. I have one podcast where I'm going to be like, why the fuck isn't that guy a black belt? Because it's like, I know guys who have given much of their lives to the sport and they're not black belts because they, they don't have a, a guy, they're not training in the gi all the time. They don't have a guy that gave them the belt, but it's like, doesn't strip them of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I also only care about like on a lot of levels, it's like you can see who knows their stuff and who doesn't. A belt is only so much and you can put a crappy person in a belt and people will see pretty quickly that that person is not good. And I like that. It's like it exposes things fast. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and you don't, I don't even think you need to be like the toughest person. It's like, if you're not the toughest person or like the best technique, you're not. And there's a lot of things you can do within the sport that you can help. But a lot of people just take, you know, it's a commodity to be taken and purchased and paid for with a monthly dues. And then there's people like that do things within the sport, within their team, they're helping, they're struggling. Maybe they're never going to reach a certain level, but you can see the struggle that like, man, for no reason, this person shows up and gets crushed and vomits in the bathroom and just keeps coming back and they'll never be a world champion. They're just a 40 year old dude. Yeah. You know, and I, that to me is powerful when I, if I can just have one person in the room that's doing that, it makes the room worthwhile. Mm, That's awesome. You know? Yeah. And then, but how do you recognize that person? You can see it. You can, it may take a while, you know, it's like it, after teaching for so long, you know, a lot of people come in and they tell you they're like this or that they're going to do this. Some people are even like very, very talented. Well, I don't want you to tell me these things. I want you to come in here and then I'll see it. That That's how I kind of have been like thinking about a lot of things lately. I have a situation where I had a little problem with someone and I let them know like, hey, I don't agree with these things that you've been doing. And, you know, they were very quick to like try and apologize. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't really even want an apology because there's been a pattern of this. What I want you to do is just go out into the world. And if you stop doing it, I'm going to notice. And that's it. If you want to keep doing this, you're more than welcome. You're just not going to do it here. And you don't need to apologize to me. But if you want to change, it's like, go change. And you won't need to say anything because I'll notice. Right. And everyone will notice. And I think that's how I just like really like like to sit back in my room and I show people things and I kind of put the tools out there and you see who picks them up. And sometimes people pick them up and then Maybe they don't do everything with them, but then like they, they keep coming back in the room. And then years later, you're like, okay, here we are. Let's talk a little more about this. You know, right. Um, right now everyone wants to come. I feel like it's like, oh, you can take pictures and stand and win medals and all these things. It's like, to me, I, I don't really care about that. I tell like I, people I coach, I'm like, I don't care if you win a medal. That doesn't even signify like you being a winner in my mind. I can win my own medals. And I want you to be in here like struggling. Yeah. I'm, that's what I, that's what I care about. And that's a different thing for everyone. You can see it. I believe you can see that when people are like really pushing through hardship, you just see it. You can feel it. You can see that person working. And that's, that's what keeps me really going. 
And everyone else, I don't really care about them, quite honestly. It's like, well, you're going to just go buy a pair of shoes next week that that's popular, or you're going to buy whatever sport, you know, is going to come up and you're going to do that now. Yeah. And that's fine. There's lots of things that I consume. I'm not like this, like, you know, expert of many things. There's lots of things that I'm just like, oh, I just casually like that. And that's fine. But I shouldn't act like an expert in those areas. Right, right. But this idea that going through hardship is somehow really powerful and that's the purpose of this is to allow you to almost fight through something yeah 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 I think it's 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 a way for people to really you know you have to come to terms with yourself am I gonna do this or not you know there's no one else there's no equipment to really blame it on people blame people find things to blame stuff on but it's like no no no. you won or you lost or you're like you showed up or you didn't you know, right. yeah. you were here or not. Uh, I can tell you, <laughs> somebody who's never done it, and I'm just thinking about myself, like going to a jujitsu gym, the the power dynamic that would be most at play for me initially would just be that you are physically like so close to somebody that you maybe yeah. don't even know. And I'm sure you get over that within minutes, but <laughs> that seems like it would. Sometimes not. No, I think like, it's like, man, I remember. And it's like, sometimes even now it's like, oh my God, it's like panic inducing. You have like, well, I have this rule and uh, people laugh at me and it's like, well, I came up in the era where it was like dudes and they would wear like basically like these nut hugger shorts, mm-hmm. spandex <laughs> nut huggers. Right. And then the, you know, it's close contact and their balls would like basically be on your face right. and they would be, jo- you know, and it's like, I'm just like, when I have a school, I'm not going to let people wear that shit. Yeah. You're going to wear pants, dude. We can take a lot of these things out of, you know, this intimidation, those kind of things. It's like, I can, we can remove that. Um, you know, you can wear shorts, dude. <laughs> I don't need that. Um, yeah. But it's still like, it's a lot. It's panic inducing to be held down. I remember even like as a child, you know, I'm the youngest and to be physically controlled is is a lot. Right. You know, it's, it, it's traumatic, I think. And if people come from any space of like past trauma, just working through that is a lot. Totally. Well, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. I feel like I could talk to you for another couple hours. So this has been really fascinating for me. And uh, I hope that I get the chance to talk to you and maybe meet in person sometime soon. Absolutely. I would love it. All right. Thanks, Cindy. Okay. Thank you. 